there and welcome to the Night Gallery podcast. My name's Christopher Brown. Today we're going to be talking about Lindemann's Catch. It's the uh, first story from episode 16 of season 2. It was originally aired on January 12th, 1972. And... um, Written by Rod Serling, directed by Jeff Corey. It is uh, based, well, it isn't based on on a a short story. Uh, It's an original Serling creation, which is rare. Um, And it is a story about, um, well, it's a spin, really. It's a spin on the old classic tale of a fisherman who finds a very unusual animal or creature. I should say, trapped in his nets. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. We offer up, hopefully salutary, possibly educative, but certainly a few terrifying little items in this, the mausoleum of the malignant. An art house full of bogeys, old stixies, bad fairies, and a few demoniac inhabitants, all put together for your pleasure and titillation in what we call the Night Gallery. Painting number one, having to do with fishermen and what they fish for, or more specifically in this case, a fisherman and what he wasn't fishing for. What appeared in his net one afternoon defies logic, reason, and belief. But there it was, Lindemann's catch. Our story is a grim one. Really, it starts in a grim place anyway. It's a New England fishing village at the turn of the 20th century. It is dirty and quite grey. Everything seems to have a a worn brown colour to it. We're first introduced to a man called Suggs, who's played by Harry Towns. Suggs is a fortune teller. He he sees soothes, as it were. He is uh, he plays with cards, fortune cards, uh, tarot. Uh, But mainly his prophecies tend to be ones which are quite doom laden. We see uh, he's arguing with a doctor about his uh, about these predictions, and then basically gets into a fight with a fisherman, a man called Lindemann, played by Stuart Whitman. Lindemann is um, a bit of a, a bit of an angry type, anyway, quite miserable. And uh, when Suggs comes over to uh, try and get him to, 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 so he can read his fortune and, and make a couple of quid out of him, uh, Lindemann very quickly lets him know exactly what he thinks of him. Mr. Suggs, I have to live with the fog because it's hell's blanket. And it creeps up through the earth to bedevil seamen like me. And there's nothing I can do about that. And I'll go out every freezing morning and come back every wind-screaming night with just enough in my net to keep me alive. Now, all of that is my miserable lot, Mr. Suggs, and will be, until God turns my sail into a shroud and throws me back into the sea. But what I don't have to do is to come in here night after night and look at that wormy little face of yours and listen to all this bile of 
potions and palms and tea leaves. Now, this is what your fortune is, Mr. Suggs, where a man spits. You had no power to do that, Captain. Didn't I? No power. Well, I'm going to give you your fortune. And because you've wasted so much of my time, I'm going to wind you up on your back with a bloody mouth. No. Must you take your miseries out and harm this little man who do you no harm? And whoever, Doctor. If he throws his lines in my waters during my one free hour to get myself drunk and forget my miseries. You're an evil man, Captain. You've got no heart in your body. You can't love. You can't give. You can't share. Share. Share, Mr. Suggs. Why, you just had a share of it. A spoonful was inside of my gut, the hate that I have for this place. After basically throwing his this guy's head into his platoon and punching him, he heads back to his boat, does my old man Lindemann, and he sees something very unusual that the nets have caught. He's with his, surrounded by his crew. And in the net is a mermaid, uh, topless on top and with a fishy body for the lower half of the waist, the classic. And this mermaid is screaming and moaning because it's trapped and it's above water. The crew say, listen, this is an unusual find. And maybe it would be best and wisest if we can just try and make a little bit of money out of it and sell sell it on to whatever carnival or doctors we can do. Lindemann is not really feeling that. He, he's concerned. He, he, he likes the animal, but, uh, well, the creature. It, there seems to be a closeness there. And he's unsure about selling it. He's He, he says, listen, I'll think about what we'll do, uh, and I'll put her in my boat. Days pass. And uh, he has to call a doctor eventually, uh, Dr. Nicholas, who, who we've already seen, who's arguing, who's been arguing with Suggs. <laughs> The doctor takes a look and in his uh, personal opinion, and it is only opinion because after all this is the the the, do- the knowledge of, of what happens with a with a mermaid, a fiction, <laughs> you know, a, something that a man would not normally see. He says that um, that the mermaid's dying, uh, been out the water too long, and uh, it, it 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 will kill her. Um, Lindemann says that. He's been communicating with the mermaids. There's a closeness, a bond that has formed between them. And he doesn't want to let her go. And he's certainly not going to sell her on. He wants to be with her. Um, the doctor leaves. And uh, it, it, Lindemann, again, insists that he won't throw her back. Suggs sees an opportunity to make a, a quick book. He is. Uh, he goes to him and says, "Listen, I've got a magic potion, and this potion is perfect for you and your problems. Give the potion to the to the mermaid, and she'll be whole. She'll be a person. She'll have the the fishy side to her will be cured." Lindemann is unsurprisingly weary of this idea, but agrees to it. And we see it to his joy that there is there has been over a period of time a metamorphosis has occurred. He can see feet on the woman now. And uh, 
when the the crew come to take her he's very happy and says that you know there's no point taking her now because she's no longer a mermaid she's no creature no reptile she's a woman you don't believe me gentlemen well i'll tell you what i'll do i'll walk around here under the deck that's what i'll do i'll walk around here so that you can see for yourselves Come on up and show them. Come on. It's only at this point when he returns to to the woman that he sees exactly what this potion has actually achieved. The uh, blanket which had covered her head has moved away. And now using her legs, she's now able to move, to walk. And we see that her, her, the top half is no longer that of a beautiful woman, but instead is that of a fish. Lindemann screams, terrified by what he's created. The, uh, the, the fish woman <laughs> made... Um, makes the most of her being now being able to walk and leaps back into her, her watery home. Lindsman, overcome by what's happened, dives into the sea to join her and to capture her again. And neither the mermaid nor the man are seen ever again. Reclaimed by the sea. Okay, well, that's our story. Um, first thing I'd probably say is that for me, this entire episode, not just this story, is a bit, makes it remind me quite a little bit of Doctor Who. Uh, not in, in a time travel sense, we've had our time travel kind of story, um, more in a, uh, an, uh, in the, the way the, the clothes, the, well, the clothes, the design work of the, our monsters. Um, a Feast of Blood features a very particular um, image of somebody being attacked by, by a monster and uh, this one uh, features a, a rather large fish head kind of costume which is um, not the best I think it, it shows the uh, the story's age unfortunately but the reason why Lindemann's catch I think is so well loved is not because of uh, the costume design but instead because of the fact that this is very much a dark fantasy horror from Sailing it's um, it's grim it's actually quite a grim tale a man you know the, it, it takes old uh, folky tales of men who have been led astray onto the rocks through sirens and mermaids but also includes different, something different there as well in this case it includes a uh, you know a man who who's basically done or overcome because of his own love really for this um for this mermaid that that he is willing to do something rather foolish in truth the um 
it's grim also in its set design it's a very brown and, and shabby uh, looking looking set and there's also a sexual element to it which is which is also bleak um, Lindemann is smitten by our um, by our uh, wild man mate but at the same time is not willing to actually you know he, he doesn't he, what the most loving thing to do would be to put her back in the sea so she can live instead he tries to change her fundamentally and that's that which leads to his downfall he's a selfish man in truth an angry selfish man who is unwilling to let to, to let nature take its course and instead is quite wrongly of the belief I think that this is what the mermaid would want rather than being free in the sea than to, but to be tied down to him in a relationship which in truth is unnatural so that's you know that in itself is quite an interesting tale I think Salem pulls it off well as I said before it's, a, it's an original Salem tale and I think he he rather interestingly plays around with the uh, the with the, the, the story and uh, you know what what is a, an old an old chestnut really you know of you know, little mermaid almost uh, tales of, of, of you know women who who have come and but they're, they're always quite light and in this it, there's a there's a genuine kind of you know dark quite sinister tone to the to, to the occasion the lagoon itself is is bleak and grim and slimy and um when Whitman who plays Lindemann uh, Stuart Whitman dives into the sea uh, it looks uh, you know it's pretty pretty nasty he actually got a friend who was stunt double who was there for that day to do that for him the other thing to say about uh, Whitman's was that he uh, he kind of struggled a little bit with the script uh, the wordiness again the old classic of Serlin's um slightly more lyrical style not sitting well with some kind of certain types of actors and in this case it, it did again um, but unsurprisingly perhaps it being the early 70s and TV being quite prudish there is uh, the, the thing that caught the eyes of the uh, the TV execs was not um, this rather bleak tale and, and, and like the horror elements but instead, the slightly more sexual elements. In this case, really the only one that's truly really sexual elements is um, a topless uh, Annabelle Gareth. Um, her hair actually covering up her breasts. So, I mean, it wasn't much of an issue, but according to, um, according to the artist Tom Wright, who, um, who was doing the paintings for Night Gallery, um, there was uh, a more trouble with, you know, the, the execs took possibly a little bit too much interest or overly interested in exactly how that picture was going to go down. Um, the image of this, uh, of a, of a semi-naked woman on the TV screens. We've got, right, it says, um, We've got twice the amount of broadcast standards guys we normally have, and they're all ready to see these breasts, and to make sure that America will not be troubled by the sight of a nipple or something. About two-thirds of the way through this thing, all of a sudden, there it is, there it is, we have to stop the film and run it back and forth. And I said, what are you talking about? 
and they claim they can see something just for a flash. Then she's being when she's being carried. There's a nipple. We know there's a nipple. It was a great nipple investigation. It turned out to be a rough spot on this woman's elbow, but we had to blow it up three times to prove it to them. I spent the better part of five days over the network going back and forth on this. We wanted to cut out the entire sequence for fear that anyone in the audience might think they'd seen a nipple on Night Gallery. Um, which is ridiculous. Um, also, there was um, possibly a little bit too much trouble in terms of, you know, the director, um, Jeff Corey, was troubled by exactly how much attention was being placed on this woman. Uh, and, and picking the right woman to cut to breast size when it really wasn't the most important element of the strips at all. Um, also, uh, it, just to, just to make it worse, the the poor actress who uh, who played our mermaid uh, actually got bronchitis after shooting. It was a, a wet and cold December night when the filming took place, and uh, it, it it actually made her ill, which is uh, adds insult to injury somewhat, particularly when all these uh, you know standards guys are scrutinising the. The image of a naked could basically come down with an illness at the same time. It's a shame, really, that uh, there wasn't more attention paid to this uh, to the fish head um, desire design than there was to um, to that woman's bare, bare, bare chest. That was, in, in fact, covered with hair anyway. You couldn't see anything. Um, I think uh, you know it's 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 just the nature of it, unfortunately, because it it look you know it looks like a uh, someone's put a, a mask on rather than what it should be, obviously, which is a uh, you know a, a change like an unnatural change, which is kind of why I was mentioning Doctor Who before. It kind of reminds me of that kind of that kind of 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 costume design. Um, on the other hand. Uh, what Jeff Corey does do very well in this episode is he he kind of looks something you know it could have looked stupid the mermaid outfit could have looked as stupid as the as the mermaid's head but because he shoots it well with different angles and it's all low down and it's quite cleverly shot it means that the the action isn't quite so bizarre I suppose would be the best way to put it it, it actually looks looks right um. I think that that is entirely, you know, due to the way he works on, on the camera with the camera, and the, you know, take selecting slightly more unusual shots. I think that's probably fair. Um, so really, I think for this story, it is uh, the real, uh, you know, the skills of. Sailing's script and also Corey's uh, direction, which makes it by far, you know, means that it rises above what could have been quite a cheesy story and quite, you know, quite silly or look quite silly when it's trying to be serious into something quite different. And um, the reason for that, I think, is just the fact that it, despite its rather unusual story idea, you know, of, of a mermaid, that it, uh, at its heart, it is quite a, a bleak tale. So put her in a tank someplace, 
The bumpkins can stand around drooling. Thought she's sick. She's not eating anything in a day and a night. She just... A review on the UK iTunes. Uh, so thanks very much for that. Um, that's really kind of you. Um, it all helps. All helps raise awareness for the podcast, and it's nice for people to write kind words. Unsurprisingly, um, if you want to get hold of me, you can do my private Twitter is at orange underscore monkey, or you can get through me through our website, which is www.thetwilightzonenetwork.com. There is, at the moment, all of Dimension X is now uploaded to the website, all 50 episodes of it. Uh, we're going to start on X-1, uh, well, this week, today, uh, probably, that'll probably go up today. Um, there's also a couple of articles that I, I'm, I'm trying to get up at the moment. Uh, things are quite busy, present, as you can imagine, but uh, there's some cool stuff happening. Um, if you're in Liverpool this week, for example... Uh, yeah, if you're in Liverpool in the UK this week, over at Fact, which is uh, our local cinema, there is on Thursday between half nine and eleven uh, a couple of Twilight Zone episodes being shown on the big screen with musical accompaniment. Um, those episodes are Where Is Everybody and A Thing About Machines, and the music is provided as a, it's one of those ones where it's kind of. Um, improvised tunes by the by the musical group Clear Spotting which is a collective of musicians from the city uh, tickets are free um, so if you want if you are interested then uh, then you know go and you're in the city go and go and have a look I know some of our listeners are extremely local um, so well local to me if that makes any sense so if you get a chance yeah take a look and because uh, I mean just to just to see those episodes on the big screen would be phenomenal Anyway, I think it's just going to be a really good afternoon. Really good evening, I should say. Uh, yeah, so that's that's it for this week. Uh, next week is a Jack Laird story, but one of the better ones. Uh, the Late Mr. Peddington, which is a, it's a jokey tale, but I think, for me personally, the joke works quite well. So, until then, take care, and I'll speak to you soon. Goodbye. <laughs>